This is CliffCentral.com. Good afternoon and welcome to another edition of Between Two Femmes with myself, Mabale Moloy. Although at this point, because my previous partner in crime, Asmasia Karas, has now had... Um, to no longer make appearances on the show because of her brand new job. It's just requiring too much of her responsibilities. And so I am kind of running solo for the time being. Not to fret, though. We're still going to be talking about all the things that you're interested in. Remember, if you'd like to be a part of the conversation, you can send us a message straight through to our WeChat account. That's the Cliff Central account on WeChat. You can give us a call on 0861-555-185 or you can tweet us to at cliffcentral.com on Twitter. And... Around about this time of the year, we're dealing with a case of we're all running on empty. We're kind of sick of each uh, of each other in terms of, you know, your colleagues in your workspace. Maybe you've had a particularly tough time with your boss this year and you're just looking for a break and exit. And, you know, it's very difficult managing and navigating the workplace. And so I've got Leanne McGowan joining us again this afternoon. She is the founder and owner of uh, happymonday.ca.za. Good afternoon, Leanne. Afternoon. Thanks for having me. It is very good to have you coming back and uh, chatting to us about the psychology of happiness, which is what the point of this conversation is about. Because, Leanne, it is almost, or am I just being a little bit dramatic when I say it's almost impossible to strive to be happy in your workplace? It's a stressful environment. Mm. Um, you're dealing with hundreds of types of different personalities. You've got all sorts right. of pressures on you as an employee Correct. or an employer. Can one find happiness in the workplace? Well, it has been proven that one can most certainly find happiness in the workplace. It's just a matter of how to implement and follow procedures to make sure that that is a key aspect of your employer's responsibility to you as an employee and to yourself for your colleagues. And it is something that every single person has the ability to do on a daily basis to ensure that this whole mental change in corporate South Africa can actually take place because we we as a, as a corporate South Africa are under huge pressure. Okay. We have team leaders who don't know how to c- communicate effectively. Um, they're brilliant at what they do, but they lack social skills, communication skills. And as corporate South Africa, we are so focused on physical well-being that we've almost completely forgotten the mental well-being side of of people, which is in fact one of the most critical. Where are we getting our cues from as corporate South Africa in terms of how to ensure that we've got a happy environment to work in? We as South Africa always get our cues from overseas, from first world countries. Right. So the states, for example, have been implementing happiness campaigns, you know, over the last couple of decades. We always fall behind. You know, they implemented physical wellness campaigns many years before we then introduced them into South Africa. So we're trying to catch up essentially with, with what the rest of the world is doing in a corporate space. And it's, it's a, it's a unique conversation to have in this country because the physical wellness side of things is so prevalent. Um, but it's also a very exciting discussion to be had. And the HR teams and the exec teams are understanding that happiness is actually a key role in how the employees function. And the research that we're able to present to corporates on just how much more functional and lively and how much better people communicate and et cetera comes from, you know, ensuring that there is happiness within a work environment. But now, Leanne, what do you say to somebody who says, but Leanne, we're living in a real world. And you know what? If I'm a business in corporate South Africa, 
I am my number one goal is to make sure that my business becomes successful. That mm. comes with a lot of stress, a mm. lot of pressure. Mm. Um, besides that, I've got huge responsibilities at home mm. as somebody who is employed in this country. Maybe I've yep. got a wife and kids yep. or a husband or extended family that I need to take care of. What, like, isn't happiness, shouldn't it be right at the bottom of my list considering all the other priorities that I need to Take off, take off on my list of priorities. Why is happiness so important in the workplace? I'm, I'm being employed to go in to be efficient, yeah, yeah. to get the job done, and, and that's that's all. Yeah, and and that is exactly the status quo in this country, and that is exactly what is incorrect with corporate South Africa, because when we are happy, happiness is an ultimate state. It is an ultimate mental state. So surely you want your employees to be functioning on a day to day basis at an optimal level. And that is, the, that is where we fit in because if you are optimally mentally well, you are more creative, 180% more creative, happy people in the workplace, 100% better communication skills has been found, improved social skills. So all those things that come together to make you function better as an employee and you're being paid to do your job. As an employer, you pay someone to sit there for eight to 10 hours a day to do a job. You want somebody there who's going to give you 100%, not 50% because they're depressed or they're sad or they don't, know, they don't have coping skills with stress environments, etc. So if you teach people the right way to handle those stressful situations and if you produce an environment that is susceptible to happiness and fun and communication, etc., your employees will be better and provide better service to you than if you just leave them. I imagine a lot of us think that if I was going into work every day and they were paying me better, yes, I would be happy and so there'd be no issue. Exactly. And that's one of the key, the interesting things actually when it comes to researching happiness. Um, it's predominantly found that 50% of how people are happy comes from genetics, 10% from our circumstance, and 40% is self-choice. So 10% of who we are and what makes us happy comes from circumstance. You cannot attach happiness to material gain because you can have a raise and you can earn more money and in two months that money will be spent and you'll be looking for more money. So that financial gain does not give you happiness. But It's short-lived. But if I'm not making enough money every month to meet my demands and needs to take the kids to school, to pay for medical aid, mm. to make sure mm. that the bond is being paid off, then that is what I'm preoccupied yes. with for the rest of the month. I'm obsessed yes. with the fact that I'm in debt. And yeah. how could I possibly then try and be happy in those kinds of circumstances? It is, it's a very interesting question, especially within corporate South Africa. Yeah. And the, the fact of the matter is that how you choose to face your day is up to you. Those circumstances are not going to change overnight. So you need to make sure that you approach your situation and your job in the correct way. And it's not only about employers facilitating environments where people can be happy. It's an individual responsibility to make that switch and make that change. Because if you show better communication, if you work better in teams, if you function better within a workspace, people are going to notice you and better things could improve. But by just getting an extra bit of salary 
does not it will make you happy temporarily, but it does not solve the long term issue that is at work at corporate South Africa. All right, Leanne, let's let's take it right back to the beginning because you are the founder and owner of happymonday.co.za, which is what exactly? Take us <laughs> take us right back to the beginning in terms of what you yes. were thinking and mm. what you had in mind when you started happymonday.co.za. Well, it actually all started sitting in a meeting room waiting for a client. Um, I've been in corporate South Africa for 14 years and there were a couple of employees in this enormous company that is known for um, employee retention and they were complaining and moaning about their jobs, their days, their management. And I turned to my colleague and I said, this is after having done my degree, the problem we have is people are not happy and people need to be happy. That's an ultimate goal. What is making us unhappy in corporate SA, Leanne? What are some of the things that are driving you to, mm. to drink when you get home after a long day at the office and you're thinking to yourself, gosh, I just, I, I have to summon the strength to wake up yeah. tomorrow and to actually convince myself to go into this place of work that makes me miserable. What's making us unhappy in corporate South Africa? I think, firstly, let me say that not all corporate companies need the extent of help that we, you know, we're, we're talking about. There are a lot of companies who do a lot of good things in terms of the mental space for their employees. So, um, I just want to say that first off, but I think the problem is we have two, there's too many stressful factors that we as human beings have to undertake when employed by corporate companies. We are doing the job of three or four people because they, you know, salaries are being cut. Retrenchments have just happened. Yeah. There's too many positions and things to do for too little people. And that's one of the biggest issues. The other issue is communication. Um, so there's, there's actually lots of factors. If you're in an environment where you feel you cannot express yourself to your supervisors, it's going to add to the stress. It's going to add to your frustration and your unhappiness within the environment. So not only are you working too hard for too little, you can't talk to anyone mm. and that environment does not facilitate a healthy corporate environment. And that's what we're aiming to change. And that's why we developed what we did, um, which through my degree, I, I researched um, the link between happiness in the workplace and happy retired individuals. And there was a very strong correlation between happy retired individuals and those who were happy in the workplace. And it's from there that we began researching this whole you know, change in corporate culture that has been implemented in the States and the UK around happiness in the workplace. And having been in corporate South Africa for so long, I understand the problems that they're facing. So to use, you know, a psychology degree and all the research that we have and implement things that we know will work is, you know, essentially what we're doing. So are you saying that happiness, aside from in the workplace, but in everything else in my life, it is something that I need to work on constantly on a daily basis. Yeah. 40% of who you are, based on studies, is your choice every day to be happy or not. 40%. That's quite a lot. That's a, that's a big chunk. Yeah. So 40% of you is able to determine whether or not you will have a happy day. And it's your mindset. So whether it's work or at home, it is up to you as an individual and it does help when we go into corporates and we help facilitate the right kind of environments. That does have a spin-off on your home life, you know, and making additional happy factors. But it is up to you as the individual. 
no one can force you to be happy. It's a mindset. Right. So what is it exactly that you then do when you go into a corporate space yeah. and you've now been, um, you know, you've been asked to come in and to do what you do? What are some of the exercises that you do then? Essentially what we do is we'd like to, the, the, currently what happens is cor- corporates focus on physical wellness campaigns. So they test your BMI, they test your cholesterol, et cetera, et cetera. So what we do is we like to come in and focus on the mental side of things, a proactive approach instead of a reactive approach. What a lot of corporates have at the moment is a hotline that you can phone if you're depressed. Okay. That's reactive. Mm. Let's stop the depression. So what we do is we develop campaigns with the HR teams and exco teams, depending on the company and their structure, and we facilitate in-house programs. So they are campaigns that are run you know, twice a month, once a month, every three months, et cetera. And it involves constant communication about the message. It involves areas where people are allowed to learn coping mechanisms for stressful situations, learn how to communicate effectively, where we can go in and offer change management from an exco level, a sales team level, et cetera, and basically keep the message alive of what we're doing, what the goal is, and why the happiness factor is so important. We like to do things like create happy cafes and creative coloring spaces. Um, you know, we as adults, we don't laugh anymore. We don't color in. We don't do any of the things that kids who are, you know, you can, you can, you can see how happy kids are yeah. just watching them at play. Is that because we're angry all the time and we're complaining about the state of the nation and we're always, we can't understand each other in mm. the workplace at different cultures, mm. different states of minds, different way of thinking, exactly. different ways of thinking. Are we just very stressed and angry? And it's, it's complete frustration. And I think from a stress perspective, as well as an expectation perspective, I don't think we are accurately taught social skills, communication skills, um, you know, cultural skills in terms of working in a, in a corporate environment. And it's very interesting when we come in and we start Tweaking on those aspects of things, how change occurs. And all human beings have the capacity to change. Mm. It's just the buy-in, the acceptance of the need to change, and the communication of effective change. And once people start seeing the results of that, then it's just it's a snowball effect. Now, you mentioned something that sticks out to me. You said we need to stop the depression. I mean, we... You know, we find ourselves in a time where there's still a lot of stigma attached to depression. Yes. Scientists and professionals in the field will still admit that, you know, it is still an area where they're still figuring things out Mm. on a daily basis. Mm. Um, can, and then, and, and then there's also this information that we become bombarded with in terms of, well, you know, your genes might, might determine how, how, how little or how much you, predispositioned to depression yep. but now you're talking about stopping depression and so when you say that i think to myself is how do it you even do that? possible to yes. stop and then how do you do that um that's that's an interesting point my comment about depression is from a corporate perspective to take it from a proactive response instead of reactive so what we like to do in working with employees and working on the ground with teams, you get to know people and you get to understand where there are hiccups and issues within a specific team or environment or floor, etc. And the key here is to, again, teach people about depression, about psychological disorders, 
to eliminate the stigma within that space, you know, from a society perspective, it's taking its time to eliminate that stigma. And yes, there is a huge genetic um, proportionality to, to depression. But if you can see it, if you can catch it, if you can proactively put steps in place to assist people on a one-on-one level, having a hotline where people can phone and get advice about depression, that's reactive. That's not going to help. So let's facilitate an environment where people are happier, comfortable, they're communicating and go again, it goes back to let's communicate about what's going on and eliminating for it getting too far. What happens, Leanne, when you move into the kind of company where perhaps the boss or the people in charge, they might not be as communicative yeah, and or they might be of the opinion that, oh, you know, this happiness thing is all like... Mm-hmm. Fairy dust in the Correct. wind. It's a complete waste of my time. Correct. Uh, how do you then deal with those kinds of different personality yeah, dynamics yeah. where people are almost not sold but no. by what you're trying to tell them? Yeah. It's, it's quite an interesting process. And what we find in working with corporate South Africa is your HR teams are hugely behind it. They can't wait because they work with the people on the ground. They yeah. understand the key issues. They know how essential this is. And as you go up the ladder towards your, your higher exco teams, the message dissipates. Right. So what we like to do as an organization is a launch campaign where we get everyone, including the exco level, involved to see and experience what it is we do, to see their staff, to hear from their staff about the benefits of what they've experienced from one of the campaigns and get them involved from that perspective. You know, when we take those people off their stepladder and they we bring them in on a one-on-one level, things change. And it doesn't always work because you still get your people who think, as long as you're sitting at your desk, you're working eight to five, we're, we're fine. But if they can experience the benefit of what happiness and laughter and movement and learning and, you know, all of that does to their staff members, there's a transition that occurs. And when they have bought in, it changes a company 180. What what am I supposed to do as a manager, whether it be in, in HR or wherever, if I am aware that an employee of mine is suffering from depression mm. and it has now started impacting on their productivity at work. Mm. What is the best way to deal with that kind of situation? It's, it's difficult to say because it's such a sensitive topic, but essentially it is a matter that needs to be addressed. And if you have a, a, an, a you know, a campaign of some kind where there's a psychologist on site or, you know, the family members who you can speak to and, and phone to get advice that's the best thing to do, to get people together to show support and care. Um, the problem with depression is people, people deny that mm. they have an issue. Mm. They think. And also they don't want to admit it to their They comments. don't want to admit it. Again, back to the stigma. But it is something that as we start communicating and learning, that stigma will decrease. And it is a huge issue that has to be addressed. A depressed employee cannot be left alone. It cannot be left to fester and worsen because not only does that person risk, you know, is, is harm to themselves or to others or, you know, to chronic depression, et cetera, et cetera, but 
they facilitate a more angry, sad environment for the people who are around them. And that can catapult into a whole series of additional issues. So as an employer, it is not something that can be left. And that is why proactively addressing those kinds of issues and mental well-being is, is one of the key things that we prescribe. Now, you mentioned that my happiness is, um, it, it depends on me. Mm-hmm. But what about the direct environment that my work situation puts me in? What happens if I'm a police officer yes. who every second day of the week is, called, is getting called out onto a murder scene, yeah. a rape scene, a crime scene? You know, just horrific mm. circumstances that will inevitably have a direct impact Correct. on my psyche. Yeah. What happens yeah. if I am not in control of my immediate work environment yeah. where it's just festering with pain mm. and difficulty and heartache mm. and just things that are in complete opposite to what happiness is all about? about. I think the essential key there is people who are in those kinds of work environments, you know, if you take your paramedics, your firefighters, the South African police service, etc., there need to be steps in place to assist those people in dealing with those traumas. Those kind of traumas, and they are traumas, to go and, you know, face that day-to-day, it is a trauma. And people need to be put in place to assist them. It cannot be left. The problem we have in this country is that we have poor fund allocations, poor staffing, and the correct people are not in place to help the paramedics, the police officers in dealing with those issues. And it becomes a huge burden on them. It becomes a very big burden. And they have to be put in place to assist them. They can't change that environment. That is their job. But there are ways to help them deal with it that can be effectively controlled. A lot of people feel stuck in their place of work and yeah. they think to themselves, if I could just get out of this company and mm. go to X company, mm. I would be a lot happier. But then while you're in that moment of feeling stuck, what would you recommend people do to to then try and lift up their spirits? Their spirits. I think, again, it boils down to communication. And the essential element there is, are you communicating with your supervisors as to how unhappy you are? Are you allowed to communicate? Are you allowed to express how you're feeling? Because if we're communicating and we're having a conversation about the fact that I'm not happy and I'd like to change something, that makes it different. That means I'm open to hearing what you have to say. Let's have a chat and see what we can do to help you. And that is, that is one of the key principles, like I've said time and time again, of communication. If your supervising team is not open to that. If there are barriers and poor communication skills, it's very frustrating and you're going to want to leave and find greener grass on the other side. Um, and it's a huge issue that, that we have, uh, those communication gaps. Do you think that there is still a lot of us walking around thinking, there is something out there that can make me happy as opposed mm. to me mm. trying to find the happiness for myself. You know, you're thinking, Always. oh, if I just married a rich man, I'd yes. be happy. If yes. I just got that dream job, I'd be happy. Correct. If, if this, this, How do we break that way of thinking and to change it completely yeah. whereby we're looking yeah. to ourselves and saying, actually, mm. nobody, it's nobody else's job no, to make me happy. It's only your job. Yes. Correct. So then how do I break that cycle? that cycle and then change my way of thinking you see we've for so long we've come to the this point where other 
superficial elements will make me happy. Yes. If I find tall, dark, and handsome, I will be happy. Yes. If I get diamond earrings for my birthday, I will be happy. If I become the vice president exactly. of I this organization, I'll be happy. Correct. And we, we have to start talking about the fact that that is not true. External factors will not make you happy. 10% of us are happy based on circumstance. 10% of who we are. That is minimal. And we need to start being realistic with ourselves and as a society and talking about the fact that it's not up to A, B, and C to make you happy. Mm-hmm. We need to change that. It's up to you to make you happy. And that can start from as young as school age, teaching kids that it's not the A on the paper that will make them happy. It's not the first team hockey player that will make you happy. It's what you do for yourself and how you internalize that that makes you happy. And it's a conversation that we need to have. Is it normal, is it healthy to strive to be happy every single day of your life? Because let's face Mm. it, sometimes I'm having a really difficult time. Exactly. I want to grieve or I want to mourn or I'm frustrated or I'm feeling angry. Should I be striving to feel happy every single day of my life? Because that to me doesn't sound normal either. No, it's it's definitely not. You know, there are moments moments in every person's life where there's not going to be happiness. There's going to be something that, needs to be mourned or grieved or is sad or there's tears or so and that is a normal human emotion they are all normal human emotions that we have on a daily basis when we talk about happiness it's the overall package it's the overall who i am as a person do i walk into a room and i'm pessimistic and i'm grumpy and i say nothing can work or am I the kind of person who will walk into a room and be optimistic mm. and say, well, let's see, let's try, let's meet new people, let's do. And that overall package is what we're talking about when we talk about happiness and making the effort to become and be happy. Leanne McGowan is the founder and owner of happymonday.co.za. And is that exactly where people can go if they'd like to get more information on what it is that you offer in terms of services? www.happymonday.co.za is that correct? Correct. All right, fantastic. Leanne, thank you so much for joining us this thank afternoon. Thank you. I think you know um, a lot of a lot of companies, a lot of businesses, a lot of places of work are wrapping, getting ready to wrap up mm. Uh, mm. for the end of the year. But it is interesting to have this kind of conversation yeah. because you know, right at the beginning of the year, we're always yeah. looking for something fresh, yes, something new, yes. new ways of doing things and tackling yeah. situations, and and how to how to bring fresh approaches into the corporate space. Yes, yeah, and how to start the year off on a right note. You don't Correct. want to go in there already feeling burdened and like yeah. you're kind of just mulling around Correct. so happy monday.co.za if you'd like to get more information on what exactly it is that leanne and her team does uh for a healthier happier you at work because let's face it if we're all happy in our places of work then we just it there's just more productivity for the whole team correct thank you very much for your thank time thank you leanne mcgowan happy monday.co.za this is cliffcentral.com I have a big company with many sites across Africa, each needing a hefty investment in hardware and software. And it's such a waste. So many resources are unused for most of the month. You need MTN Business Cloud powered by Microsoft technology. Our scalable solution enables you to manage your infrastructure, which allows you to buy exactly what you need. With a footprint covering over 23 countries, isn't it time you found out about the cloud solution built to build African businesses? Welcome to the new world of business. 
All right, cliffcentral.com with myself, Mabali Muloy. It's another Thursday afternoon. It's good to have you with us. Uh, 0861-555-189 if you'd like to be a part of the conversation. Or you can message us straight through to WeChat on our Cliff Central account or tweet us straight through to cliffcentral.com. Um, in the first half of the show, we were talking about happiness in the workplace. And um, the extreme opposite side of happiness is a little bit of sadness. Uh, grieving, mourning, because um, I'm going to admit to you immediately off the bat, uh, there are at least two people in my life right now who are dealing with a bit of a difficult situation in the sense that they've lost some loved ones. And it always interests me how awkward a situation becomes whenever somebody has been touched by death. You know, somebody that you know, whether it be a colleague or a friend or a partner. And um, I always find it a little bit difficult to to be supportive of the person who's been affected by the death. And so I thought that it would be a good idea to enlist a little bit of professional help in terms of the do's and don'ts of trying to be there for somebody who is mourning a loved one. And so I've got uh, Shireen Glenn Spiron, who is a clinical psychologist at the Psychology and Wellness Center in Bryanston and is also affiliated with SADEC. Uh, SADEC, sorry, of course, we are very familiar with the work they do. Good afternoon to you, Shireen. Good afternoon, Mbali, and thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us this afternoon. We really appreciate your time. So, um, death, very, very awkward situation in terms of how you can be supportive to somebody who's dealing with it. Am I correct? Absolutely, yes. Okay, so, are there, is there a list of do's and don'ts in terms of how you can be there for somebody who's mourning or, you know, is in the process of grieving or, Like, is there a list of do's and don'ts? You know, Mbali, I think the most difficult thing about going through a grieving process is the fact that it's such an individual thing. So for everyone who experiences a loss, it's different. So to say that there's specifics that you can and can't do is taking it a little bit and making it and putting it in a box, which we don't want to do because it's such an individual process, you know, going through this mourning and um, accepting the loss that you've just experienced. If I'm sitting there and I'm thinking to myself, you know, when I lost my friend or my sister or my uncle or my cousin, I remember this, this and that. And then to try and, you know, apply to to try and suggest to the person that I'm now supporting to do that. Would that be the wrong thing to do? Because you do say that it is such an individual process. I think what happens when we lose a person, we often try and do things that we would want people to do for us if we were in the same situation. Uh, Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And often when we do that, um, that person might feel that we are dismissing their own grieving process. Um, But also I think the most important part of the grieving process is to have the support. It doesn't always mean that you have to say something, but the mere fact that you're willing to listen and be there for the person and actually be quite open and aware of what their needs are. And when I'm saying that, what I'm meaning is that um, when you do engage with them, like really listen to what they want to say, you know, because our first kind of line of entering into this situation is wanting to either tell them everything is going to be okay, mm. which is something they don't want to hear. You Abs- know? <laughs> like absolutely not. Like everybody who goes through this process, they do not want to hear that everything is going to be okay. Is yes. It? Okay. You know, it's, it's so hard because at that specific point in time for them, everything's not okay. Yeah. And by you saying, you know what, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. It's almost like you are forcing them to feel that they shouldn't feel the way they do. Mm. You know, it's a little bit dismissive in that way. The other thing that we tend to do is um, we tend to share our own experiences of grief. 
you know, and that's also something people don't always want to hear because then it's not about them anymore. It becomes about you. (laughs) But you see then in that moment, I'm thinking to myself, if I share my experience of grief, grief, then it's a way for the two of us to connect in this grief and for them to understand that I completely understand what you're going through. <laughs> and you're saying it's completely wrong. No, no, I'm not saying it's completely wrong. But I think there's a time for it. And if the person wants to engage by talking about, oh, what was your experience? How did you feel? Then it kind of opens the door for you to talk about it. But, you know, to just go right up from the start and say, you know, when my grand passed away 10 years ago, mm. I remember feeling this, that, and the other. Mm. And that person might be feeling, you know what, that's not what I'm feeling. Or, you know, why are you telling me this? Mm. Like, it's my process. It's my time to mourn. Um, although there might be times when someone will ask you, what did you feel? Yeah. You know, how did you get through it? What did you use? You know, and then it opens up that door to kind of engage and say, I'm here, I'm empathetic, and I'm actually getting you, you know, I've been there before. Sometimes you're sitting there thinking to yourself, gosh, if I could just say something to this person that is profound or something that will resonate with them, then that's probably what they need. But you're actually saying that it's more about listening to what this person's saying. And oftentimes we feel that, well, if I don't share some kind of wisdom with this person who's grieving, then it's a complete waste of time. And I mean, is, is that just not the case simply? Mm. I think, you know, it depends on also who the person is. Some people want to be consolidated and they want to have those conversations. And you will, you will have to kind of almost measure when you're talking to that person where they're at. And that you can do only once you have listened. So I think the initial interaction be one of being supportive and being attentive to what their needs are and obviously listening to them. And once you kind of have a better idea of what this person wants, then you can start engaging on the next level, Mm. if that makes sense. Mm. I suppose it also becomes a little bit difficult when you're dealing with people who maybe do not share the same belief systems, the same cultural practices, the same religious beliefs. I mean, in a, in a case like that, you really don't want to impose your beliefs and what you subscribe to onto the person that you're meant to be supportive to, correct? Mm, absolutely correct, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Shireen, let's talk more about the work that you do with SADAG because you are, the, a, you are a clinical psychologist at the, at the Psychology and Wellness Center in Bryanston. How are you affiliated um, with SADAG? See, SADAC deals with um, depression and anxiety, Mm. and what we do is we take on a lot of those cases. And the reason why SADAC is so important when it comes to bereavement processes is because a lot of the emotions that people experience are related to signs and symptoms of depression and anxiety. So that's how the two kind of combines and um, kind of almost like mixes in with each other, where the symptoms are very much normal, but people who go through the bereaving process um, don't always know like what to expect when they're in that specific process. Are you are you saying that it is easier for somebody who's going through a, a mourning process to, to sink into a type of depression? Absolutely. Mm. So then how do I then, as somebody who's meant to be there as your friend or colleague or, you know, some kind of support system, how do I deal with that? Because I'm not, you know, I'm not equipped with the kind of um, like background that you are in, in terms of dealing with somebody who's now sunk into a depression. Mm. See, I think what we what we need to understand about grief is like these different stages for everybody that they go through. That's the first thing. All right. What are these stages? Okay. So people go through the stages at different times. So it's not always set in stone that it will be from one to four in a specific way. But people feel, firstly, there's a sense of denial. 
you know, like this didn't happen. I, mm. I can't believe it. You know, like I walk out the door and I imagine this person's going to get out the car and be there. Or, you know, I get to work and I imagine my colleagues can be there and then they're not. You know, so there's a sense of denial and, and disbelief that this has actually happened. Um, the another thing someone, well, another symptom people will go through, another step in the phase of, of this bereavement is one of actually feeling guilty. You know, I should have done this or maybe I could have done something different or had I spent more time with them, which is also very much a normal feeling to have. Then we have that extreme sadness where the person feels, you know, like overwhelmed and just tearful and it feels like it's coming out of the blue. You might just be walking around and, you know, all of a sudden you feel like you want to just cry and you just can't contain it, you just, just can't hold it. Um, and then there's elements of aggression that comes out. You might feel angry, maybe angry with yourself, angry with this person for leaving you, even angry with God. You know, if you are religious, mm. you might say, why did he take, you know, my mom? Like, why not someone else, a criminal or, you know, and all those, those phases are normal and they kind of wind into each other and they change and they come and they go. But what we look at in terms of complicated bereavement is if one of your friends, for example, um, is stuck in one of those phases, and especially like the tearful one where they can't get out of bed, you know, like they have no energy, no appetite, um, and this carries on for longer than two months, then we would say you need to see a professional, mm. you know, in terms of, of kind of looking at if this is a complicated bereavement, whether it's turned into a depression. And what would be the best way to tell this person that you're concerned about? that you think that they should go and see a professional because some people take offense to that. You know, they'll turn around and they'll say, what do you mean? There's nothing wrong with me. Why are you saying that I need to go and to, uh, speak to a psychologist or a psychiatrist? What is the best way to let somebody know that, listen, I'm a little bit concerned about you right now and I don't know how to deal with your situation and I think you should go and see somebody. And I think you've exactly just said what you should be saying. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So exactly like that. No. You know, it's, it's, it's about making the person aware that you've noticed there's been a change and that you know uh, from as a lay person, you don't know how to contain it or how to help them, you know, like you can support them, but you've reached your limit and you really think that they need to, to see someone, you know, because you are concerned about them. And from that point onwards, that's all you can do. Mm. You know, then it's, it's, it becomes their responsibility um, to see how they can manage themselves. Um, a lot of us don't know how to deal with um, a breakdown or, you know, crying, let's, let's just put it simply at that. Somebody who suddenly is just overwhelmed by the emotion that they're experiencing in that moment and they break down in tears and it's just very uncomfortable for, you know, for the surrounding people because they don't really know how to deal with it. What is the best way to deal with a situation like that where you yourself are feeling uncomfortable, but clearly this person, you know, is overwhelmed by their the feeling. What What is the best way to deal with a situation like that? Mm. See, when someone actually falls apart, I think one of the worst things we can do is try and help them to get themselves together by saying things like, come on, you're going to be okay, you know, it's going to get better, don't worry. Um, I think it's hard to not say those things, but it's better to sit with them in silence and kind of say, you know what, it's okay. You're allowed to cry. You're yeah. allowed to fall apart because this is something that's so significant and it's so big in your life um, that it's normal what you're going through. And I'm here, you know, and, and if, I, if I have to sit here and just be with you, then that's what I'll do. Um, all right. Shireen, let's talk about some of the major differences in how to adjust the way that you're dealing with the situation when a child 
is involved, for example, because again, this is this is not you know this is a very this is very foreign territory unless you've got the kind of uh, psychology background that you do. But how do, how does one comfort a child who's lost someone who was important to them? Mm. See, what what we need to understand is also depends on the on the child's age, obviously. Yeah. And if they are younger, it's it's about helping them to go through those processes and the, and the steps that I've explained to you. So it's kind of normalizing those feelings for them and saying, you know what, sometimes you might feel a little bit angry because mommy's not here, you know, mm. and you might feel very sad at other times when you think about her and the fact that that she's not here anymore. So it's about helping them to express those emotions and the feelings, but in a healthy, contained way, you know, and giving them that space as a child to maybe draw a picture for mom, write a little letter for her, make a nice box with, you know, things that they remember about her, make her, um, you know, like something special in the garden, anything for them that kind of makes it concrete in a way, but also at the same time helps them to move through their own little bereavement process. What happens if you feel that the way in which the person you're supporting through their bereavement um, is sabotaging themselves in the sense that they're using coping mechanisms to try and get through the process? How does one then deal with that kind of situation? See, I think it's, again, it's, it's very difficult because coping mechanisms also serve a purpose. And when people employ this coping mechanism, it's because it actually helps them to move forward or to move on in a specific way. Mm-hmm. So to attack the coping mechanism isn't always the best thing to do. But when you see the coping mechanisms as actually becoming like more destructive in their daily functioning and in their relationships, that's when you, again, have to make them aware if they're close enough to you. And if they're not, then maybe someone else is close to them and say, like, listen, I'm concerned about this person because I can see that the way they're trying to cope with this is actually not helpful. All right. So let's say my sister has lost her husband and all of a sudden she's drinking way too excessively and it's becoming a problem. What, what do I do? Do, do? do I, even as a lay person, try and deal with it or do I just immediately... Call in, call for help for professional help. <laughs> <laughs> Where do I begin? Where Jump on the professional help. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I think, you know, um, fair enough. I think first family members will always try and intervene and it's, it's healthy and it's good because that's where the natural support system comes from. Um, and it's good for that person to know that, you know, we are here. We're helping you. We're caring about you and, you know, we're supporting you. But once you see that it's getting to a level where there's no shift, you know, and it's, it's continuing and this person kind of goes beyond where family can intervene, then you call in the professional. So definitely you will have a chat with her first, mm. you know, and maybe get your parents will be involved or other people who care about her, um, depending on the family structure and the support system. But uh, once you guys notice, like, this is too much for us to handle and it's getting worse, that's when you say, listen, you need to actually get professional help. Some people feel that it's actually not in, it's, it's not their place to be supportive or maybe they themselves just can't deal with the situation and they feel, actually, I have no interest in trying to be there for you. Could that be detrimental in a situation where the person who's mourning or going through the bereavement process is looking to you for support and you just think to yourself, this is too much for me. I, I can't do it. I have no interest. Mm-hmm. Could it be detrimental? Is, is it ever a, a bad thing to say to someone, listen, I, I can't help you right now see i think being honest is a good thing because otherwise you're also creating a sort of like a a sense of i'm here but i'm not really here you know which which is like quite a distrusting thing to do if it's someone who's close to you so to be honest and say listen i know that things are hard for you and i can see that but actually i just don't know 
what to do and I don't know how to make it better. You're being honest with that person and maybe then they can look for support in another area or place where they can actually get it. So being honest is not a bad thing because there's nothing worse than going to a person and pretending that you care about them and then eventually they realize like there's nothing going on here. Mm. And that's also why I think that when people are in a, in a support system and they struggling, like, you know, it's also difficult when other people are going through the same thing. Um, that's where the professional help really comes in handy because you have someone who's neutral. You have someone who can support you through this whole process, but who's not directly involved, you know, and you also don't have to carry the burden of feeling like you're making other people sad or you're making other family members stress out more um, or making their process worse by complaining about how you're feeling. Um, and that's where professionals really help a lot. What happens if you start becoming impatient with the person that you promised to support through this process and then you feel, you know what, if I was in this situation, I would deal with it in this way, but this person is choosing to deal with it in a completely different way that is foreign to me that, quite frankly, I don't agree with. And then I start to become impatient. What what should happen then in that process? See, I think, again, that's, it's, it's a personal decision people have. And some people just don't have the capacity to to support and be and work through a process with someone else. And, again, it's about being honest and saying, listen, I completely understand where you're at, but I just can't talk about it or I just cannot get more involved because – it's too difficult for me. It's too hard for me, you know? Yeah. Um, you can't, it, it, there's no, there's no, I want to say there's nothing positive about you trying to be involved in something where you're actually feeling in your own self uncomfortable, you know, and sort of in dissonance, like not really happy with where you're at in engaging with this person because then you're not doing anyone a service. Would you say that um, people who are trying to be supportive of someone who's lost a loved one, should always 100% be honest with that person, even if it means that their feelings are going to be hurt, especially at such a sensitive time. Mm. See, it's not about what you say. It's about how you say it. Okay. So it's about being honest in terms of saying, you know what, I, I can see that you really are in a difficult situation and I really care about, you know, you getting better and getting the help that you deserve, but I just don't think that I'm the right person to support you. Mm. Like, you know, I just, it's too much for me. And I don't think if you say it in the right way that that person will be, you know, well, they might at that specific moment be a little bit irritated with you, but definitely over time they will understand that you were open and honest and that it's just something that you can't do. There is also this way of thinking that, you know, if, if we don't draw attention to the death and if we don't talk about it and if we avoid it and if we pretend that it didn't happen and it's not there, then the person is likely to get over it quicker. So is, is that, is that just a completely wrong approach? You know, I think that's, that's, <laughs> that's just something that's not going to happen because it's a process. Yeah. Like there's no way of, of, making it faster, making it slower, speeding it up, getting getting the person to feel better. You know, even if you deny it and even if that person is going through the bereavement process is in denial about what's happened and they're kind of almost like suppressing their emotions and not getting to the point where they're expressing themselves, eventually it's going to come out, you know, and whether it's going to take them two weeks, two months or maybe even two years, it's something that they're going to have to process. Um, it's just one of those things that you can only go through it at its own pace. All right. So, Shireen, if people would like to enlist your services to get a hold of you, whether they've got questions or trying to um, deal with a personal situation um, on their own, how can people get a hold of you? Um, firstly, they can contact SADAC. Okay. So, that would be www.sadac.org. Yes. Okay. And the, the helpline, which is really useful, is 080 
0414242043. So that's like a 24-hour helpline for people who feel they need to talk about whether it's, you know, bereavement or whether it's any other form of depression or concern about anxiety or panic attacks, anything that they're not sure about and they need some sort of professional guidance, mm, mm. they can phone that number. Okay. They can also phone us at the Psychology and Wellness Center and it's 011 463 one two one one. So that would be the uh, psychology and wellness center at Bryanston, which is where you work. Yes, that's it. Fantastic. And if they want to have a look on our website, it's www.pawc.co.za. Shireen Glenn Spiron is a clinical psychologist at the Psychology and Wellness Center in Bryanston, and she's also affiliated with SODAC. Thank you very much for your time this afternoon, Shireen. Thank you, Mbali. And thank you for joining me uh, for another edition of Between a Fame and a Hard Place. Is uh, you know, it's a it's a title that uh, that's a work in progress. Uh, we're we're trying to change things up here. Stay with us here on CliffCentral.com. Um, as always, it's great hanging out with you. This is CliffCentral.com.